good morning. We are going to start in the Psalms this morning. And Psalm 47, Psalm 24. I'm going to go to numerous scriptures and ask you to turn to numerous scriptures this morning. The title of my message is Behold the King. Very timely for us. Very timely for this day. So we consider indeed that Jesus Christ is King. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But before I start, a few things to say. None of this was planned. I just thought of it. And so it's been three years since I've been here in New Hampshire. Um, And it's been quite the quite the ride, as they say, right? It's been a blessing in so many different ways. Um, And as I do say at times, I do say sometimes, um, and I'll say it this morning, that um, it's just an encouragement to see all of you here. Um, It's encouragement to see you here this morning worshiping the one true God and making that a priority in your life. On Christmas Day, and it, it should be a priority, but when churches are canceling services, Sunday services, that just shows you where we are as a society. Um, and when we say, no, I'm going to worship Jesus Christ, and all other things of Christmas can wait, and all other things of Christmas are wonderful. We got up early, and we exchanged gifts, and we'll have a a feast later on, and some of you have a feast later on, some of you exchange gifts, and all of that is wonderful. But I'm just encouraged this morning, and there is no other place I'd rather be in my entire life right now than to be here with all of you and to be here standing and, and opening up the Scripture to you and preaching the Word of God to you. And I, on that note as well, I'll say that some of you may know this, some of you may have not, Um, But this is the last sermon I will be preaching behind this pulpit this year. So, I know some of you have heard that before, and uh, some of you haven't. So for those of you who haven't, uh, there you go. But I, as I was studying this out, as I was considering the sermon, as I was considering... The birth of Christ, I was considering how all things this day, all things this season point to uh, Christ in the manger in many ways and the, um, the nativity and, and all of that we see in Scripture. And as I looked in, in John 12, just continuing on, it just everything fell in place as far as my, my thinking and my prayer goes to where this is where we need to be. I came across a quote recently from John MacArthur that is timely for us this day and for our study this morning. And he says this, If we could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, these words would be the words, God with us. God with us. He says, We tend to focus our attention at Christmas on the infancy of Christ. The greater truth of the holiday is his deity. More astonishing than a baby in the manger is the truth that 
This promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. We find themes as we study the Word of God, as we study redemptive history. We see themes throughout the the Bible, um, such as the sovereignty of God and the power of the one true God. Another great theme is how God rules and reigns as king. We see that in Psalm 47, which I ask you to turn to. I'm just going to read some of these scriptures and then go to Psalm 24. Psalm 47, verse 1 and 2. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And then verse 5 and God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. And then Psalm 24 I wanted to go just in verse 7 through 10, but look at verse 1 with me, if you would. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has established it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Only Christ qualifies. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, his followers. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The one who came, the one who was in the manger, the feeding trough. Jesus, the Son of God. So as we go to John chapter 12, several points for us to consider this morning. First, he is presented as king. Jesus is presented as king. Father, once again, I ask for your help in teaching your word and preaching your word. God, that you would let it be unleashed as you would have it to be, O Lord, and that you would change hearts where needed, O God, and that Christ would be glorified. In his name I pray, amen. In the Old Testament, we learn that a king would be born. He would also be a shepherd, a shepherd of God's people. That's in Ezekiel 34. This one would be not only a man, but he would be God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We learn from the Gospels that indeed this King has come. 
And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Born to receive the praise of earth, and born to give man second birth. He lived a perfect life that only God could live without sin. Living approximately 33 years of life, Jesus, from infancy until until the crucifixion, we find that he was hailed as king. His triumphal entry is the scripture that we are looking at this morning, which was not done for fanfare. It was not for an appeal to gain acceptance of man. It was not for a secular throne. His triumphal entry was when all eyes in Jerusalem would be fixed on him. And each one individually had to grapple with and had to conclude who Jesus really was. As J.C. Ryle puts it, the time had come when the true Passover lamb was to be slain, when the true blood atonement was to be shed, when Messiah was to be cut off, when the way into the holiest was to be opened by the true high priest to all mankind. He was indeed presented as king, even in the manger. He was born as king. And then we have the peaceful entry of the king. The peaceful entry of the king. I draw your attention to chapter 12 and verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. All four Gospels record this event in the life of Christ. You can read about it in Matthew uh, 21, Mark chapter 11. And I want you to go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. Go to Luke chapter 19. Rather than reading all the accounts, we'll just look at Luke chapter 19 and come back to John chapter 12. This gives us uh, more description. This gives us more details to what took place at this time. Uh, Chapter 19 of Luke and verse 28. The triumphal entry. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And he was going, as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry 
out. And we'll pause there. We'll be back to Luke. But I turn your attention again to John. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, as he's heading on in, this peaceful entry of the king. It was quite an entrance. Nothing in history could compare to what this looked like. The closest we can get to our thinking would be a conquering king or a conquering army coming back from war in a parade scenario, in victory. Or a sports team returning home after winning a championship that possibly has eluded them their whole time of being a team. It's, it's an entrance. Uh, it's a parade. But this is quite different. The triumphal entry of Christ really has nothing we can truly compare it to. The crowd of people would have been overwhelming. There was at least half a million people there. Some scholars say up to 2.5 or 2. Uh, yeah, 2.5 million. So between those two numbers is a lot of people. All eyes focused on this entrance. Word has spread about the ministry of Jesus Christ over the past year or two. Now it was known that the religious leaders were looking to arrest him. Others would have heard that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. This crowd of people were in Jerusalem on purpose for the Passover feast. And when they heard Jesus was coming, they went out on purpose to greet him, to see him. Many in the crowd took branches of palm trees. John's Gospel is the only one that records this part of the account. But as we read John's, uh, Matthew's account, rather, we find that people also laid their coats on the road. And we saw that in Luke, laid their coats down on the road. Coats on the donkey as well as they lifted up Jesus and put him on this donkey. The coats spread out. Matthew 21, verse 8, most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. The others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. So the coats were laying down for the, for the king. The king should not walk on, on ground, on the dirt and the dust. Lay the coats down. Lay this down for the king. Put the, the robes on the colt or on the donkey for the king so that he may, may sit. Why the palm branches? Well, this was Passover feast, not the Feast of Tabernacles. Palm branches were not a special part of the Passover feast. We must not forget uh, that the crowd was cheering here. The crowd that was cheering things that they were saying here days later were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Here they are saying, Hosanna. Here they are saying, here, here is the king. Days later, some in these crowd, the same ones would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. Palm branches had become a national symbol. F.F. F. Bruce says this, palm branches figured in the procession which uh, celebrated the re- rededication of the temple in 164 B.C., And again, when the winning of full political independence was celebrated under Simon in 141 B.C. Later, palms appeared as national symbols on the coins. On this occasion, 
the palm branches may have signified the people's expectation of imminent national liberation. Remember, they were under Roman rule. They were under oppression. They were under an iron fist in some ways. And they were looking for a king, but they weren't necessarily looking for what this king of kings was offering them. He was presented as king, this peaceful entry of the king, and then thirdly, the perception and reception of the king. So they and the crowd began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So when they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were quoting Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, and they were adding, the crowd was, even the king of Israel. Here he is. And this is, as they began to shout, this is in the imperfect tense. They cried out over and over again. It wasn't just a one time, hail, here he is. This was again and again, they were shouting this. The crowd had the right scripture, but they had other ideas of what they meant when they were shouting Hosanna. Give salvation now or give victory now. They had their own ideas of what this king was going to do. They, with their palm branches, were looking for a political or military leader to save them. We remember, though, others early on in the Gospel of John uh, recognized Jesus as king, as who he was. Remember Nathaniel, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. Even Martha, recently, I have believed you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Well, who is he who comes into the world? The Messiah, the, the king. John the Baptist in prison, remember, he asked, or he, he asked the disciples to ask Jesus, are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Then there is also the interaction between Pilate and Jesus in John chapter 18, I invite you to turn there. If you're in the Gospel of John, just turn over to John chapter 18 in verse 33. This is, of course, after Jesus was brought, after he was arrested, before he was brought before the priest, after rather, after Peter's denials, Jesus standing there before Pilate and an interaction there with Pilate about him being a king. Verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears 
my voice. Numerous passages also in Matthew speak of the kingdom. The kingdom of God. Well, who is the king of the kingdom of God? Well, Christ, of course. He is, as the book of Revelation says, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the crowd in John chapter 12, the triumphal entry is there. They had it right. The king is coming. Here he is. But their idea of what this king would bring was different than the mission Jesus had for them. The mission of salvation, the mission of reconciliation between God and man. Just as people today have misconceptions of what lordship means, have misconceptions of what salvation means, of what following Christ means, of what it means to have indeed Jesus as king over your life. You see, a conqueror would come into a city on a horse, even ahead of his troops, coming in on his horse, troops behind him. People would know this is something serious. A conqueror has come. There has been victory. D.A. Carson notes that Jesus did not come in a war horse, which would have whipped the political aspirations of the vast crowds into insurrectionist frenzy. No, Jesus came riding a donkey. He came on a mission. He came as the king in peace, king of peace. Jesus, chapter 12, verse 14, finded a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. When reading the other accounts in the Gospels, we understand that Jesus sent disciples to get the donkey. Also important to note that Jesus was not on the donkey the entire time. There was a specific time where he was placed by the disciples onto the donkey, walking at first, and then um, by providential design, that donkey was there. He told the disciples to go get him. The donkey was brought there, the donkey's colt. And then he was placed upon the donkey's colt. And then we see in verse 15, Daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is a, a quotation from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which I'll read for you. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Zion. Of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, or he is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So there we have it. Once again, this, this is fulfilled prophecy right here from Zechariah. Daughter of Zion, the people of Jerusalem, he is here. As the king of peace, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy as he rode in on this young donkey. He being righteous, endowed with salvation, humble, fulfillment to what Zechariah had to say. That's why if we consider what Jesus said, if the people remain 
quiet, the rocks would even cry out. Remember when the uh, Pharisees said, rebuke your disciples? Well, if they were going to be quiet, the rocks would even cry out. Why? Because God said this was going to take place. And if God is go- says something is going to take place, it is going to take place. So if they're qu- quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. This is, God's word says this is going to happen, therefore it will happen. People would shout it out. So the crowd had their palm branches, symbolic of political military victory, and expecting a king to come as a conqueror. Jesus was Israel's true king, but not the type of king the crowds were seeking. We learn much from Jesus' response to the crowd in Luke chapter 9. Or chapter 19. I mentioned we'd be going back there, and, and here we go. Important scriptures for us to look at. Chapter 19, verse 41 and 42. We learn much from Jesus' response. <clears throat> chapter 19. This is right after the Pharisees said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus responds, verse 41, When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, that the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, and surround you, and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground, and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So he is saying right here in Luke, as he weeps over Jerusalem, God has blinded your eyes from seeing this, hidden this from your eyes. So even as they were shouting this, Hosanna with palm trees, they were looking for something else. Jesus wept. He lamented over the type of king and salvation that people were looking for. Jesus said something else about Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13. I'll read this for you in verse 34 and 35. This is also very important for our study this morning. Luke chapter 13, 34 and 35. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here it is right now, the triumphal entry happening right now. Will you notice a dramatic contrast between what the people were emphatically shouting and what Jesus was feeling, or how Jesus was responding, rather. He was responding by weeping. Philip Ryken says this, People were singing his praises and calling him their king, yet Jesus rightly perceived that they did not know who he really was. And so he wept. The people were cheering, but the king of sorrows was crying. 
Jesus wept not only for their rejection, but also for their suffering that was to come upon them when Jerusalem was conquered in AD 70 and their eternal suffering for rejecting him. So here he was, the triumphal entry presented as a, as a king, peaceful entry of the king. The question, uh, are you prepared to meet the king, is our next point. Prepared to meet the king. The king was born. The king came in peace. First he came in peace in the manger. And then he came in peace in a triumphal entry. Did not come as a conqueror at that point in time on a horse. Came in peace. Offering the peace with God. Offering salvation. So the questions for us and the perception and the preparation to meet the king. What type of king are we looking for? What kind of king are we serving? Who is the king of your life? Are you submitting to the king of kings? What a difference there is between Jesus, the true king, and earthly kings, worldly kings. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. An earthly king rules for personal gain. Riches of this world is prone to be proud, Rules from his high horse. And Jesus comes in on a donkey. Jesus was meek, dwelt among his people, came to us, born into this world, born a baby under humble circumstances. As Jonathan Edwards once says, his condescension is great enough to become their friend, to become their companion, to unite their souls to him in spiritual marriage, to yield up himself to death for them. So in order to be prepared to meet the king, you must be clothed with the right garments, clothed in his righteousness. Are you dressed to meet the king? So as he is entering, as the people were shouting, the disciples also responded in verse 16 of John chapter 12. They did not understand at first. It says it in verse 16. So there's really three groups. Uh, primarily in the response, uh, in the responses we see, we see the disciples. And then we have um, those who were in Jerusalem, those who came out to see him in Jerusalem, and the, those who were there uh, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. The disciples, did, they did not understand at first. But... When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. They did not understand what was going on right away, the true significance of what was happening. I mean, they were there. They, they put Jesus on, on the, the colt, on the donkey. But they didn't understand the true significance of what was happening. But after Jesus was glorified, then they were enlightened by the Holy Spirit and able to comprehend more fully what had happened. In order for the helper to come, the Holy Spirit, Jesus had to be glorified. John chapter 14 and verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
So the people who were with him, verse 17, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went out and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So, so that we're clear, Jesus did receive glory in fulfillment of prophecy primarily. And when they put their coats on the donkey, they put their coats on the road so that he could walk. The king would not have to walk on the ground. He'd walk on their coats. Acknowledging his royalty. The only thing we could think of is a red carpet in our vernacular. Many others were hailing Jesus because of his miracles. Some had been there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Others heard about this miracle. Were these folks going out to meet Jesus, to surrender to his lordship? That is the question. Or were they hoping that he would use his power for their purposes that they had in mind? Also those in the crowd, those who were with him at Bethany, those who heard about the miracle and went out to meet him, not there, just heard about this. Others were, were uh, explaining that what happened there. Listen to D.A. Carson once again. Considering that they were looking, they had the palm branches, here comes the king, expecting a conqueror, expecting a horse. Listen to Carson. One who could summon a dead man, back to life, would certainly be able to deliver the holy city from the yoke of Caesar. So they, possibly they were thinking, wow, Jesus did this, this one coming, the the king of Israel, he did this to Lazarus? Well, he can deal with Caesar. Yes, hell, here comes the king. He, He can deal with this Caesar that is over us. When Jesus came to offer peace with God, Their future hope was standing in their midst. The light was right there. Radiant glory. The suffering servant. He was right there. But they wanted to be out out from under Caesar's iron fist. We could say we don't blame them. But they were looking for the wrong kind of deliverer. So is the majority of this nation that we live in. When we hear the vernacular, well, we're just praying for the soul of a nation. Well, the nation does not have a soul. I think I mentioned that before, but let's be reminded of it again. America does not have a soul. People have souls. Salvation does not come through legislation. It comes through the preaching of the Word of God. So we need to make sure we have our priorities in the right places. We don't look for some king to come in and and topple whoever it is. We look for the king to come back. The king of kings and the lord of lords. And we give, we're the ones who hold the message of the gospel in the meantime. And then the Pharisees, they chimed in as well in verse 19. They said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Well, it's a bit of an exaggeration here. 
that they're saying the whole world has gone after them. But we got to be careful of blanket statements, right? Reminded of that in our relationships. You always do this. You never do that. Well, I can't say always. You can't say never. But the whole world has gone after him. Watching this whole scenario from the Pharisees' perspective must have enraged them. Talk about weeping and, and gnashing and gritting their teeth. They even blamed each other. See that you're doing no good? Look, the world has gone after him. If it was Jesus' way of operating, he could have instigated an uprising. Naturally, the Pharisees did not want that to happen, as it would negatively affect them. But Jesus was not this kind of king. He came to save sinners. And that brings us back to this day on the calendar once again. Jesus came to save sinners. The Pharisees also must have been concerned, like the Sadducees, that the people were turning from from them to Jesus. Many people did follow Christ. He came to save people from, from every tribe and every tongue throughout the world. The king was born in humble means. His crown on earth would not be of gold, would not be of precious gems, but would be a crown of thorns. The robe that he wore was a purple robe that was put on him while the soldiers were mocking him and torturing him and spitting on him. He would not sit on an earthly throne after his triumphal entry. He would ascend to a Roman cross. His title was not attached to a chariot for all to see as he paraded through Jerusalem. No, his triumphal entry would lead to his betrayal, his arrest, denial by those closest to him, would lead to his torture, and it would lead to him going to Golgotha, the place of a skull, as it ultimately led him to the cross. It was there that the cross, on that cross, that the inscription read, Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Indeed, this king received his crown of glory and of honor. As I remind us from Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 1, I just read these for you, verse 9 and 10. We do not see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, God, after he spoke many, spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
And then I'll summarize Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. Emptied himself. That's what Christ did. He emptied himself. Took the form of a bondservant. Humbled himself. Remember, this is the king of kings. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above all names. So that every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Either willingly or by force. He was presented as a king. There was the peaceful entry of the king, the triumphal entry. Everyone needs to be prepared to meet the king. And what is your perception of this king? And then we have the promised and pronounced return of the king. We await the return of the king. The king born in humble circumstances. The king came to not to serve, excuse me, not to be served, but to serve and to die for sinners. The king came to Jerusalem for the final time on a donkey as a king of peace. The king received a crown of thorns and was murdered by sinful men. The king conquered death, ascended on high to his throne. He rules, he reigns. And when the king returns, he will not be coming on a donkey. He will come as a victorious warrior. In Revelation 19, our final text for us this morning, Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. As John has been given many visions and he sees this one, the coming of Christ. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Consider this text when, when considering the world wanting to get Jesus out of everything. The manger out of everything. Oh, we don't need to see this baby. We don't need to see this. We don't need to see that. I saw an angel standing in the sun. Excuse me. Verse 15 again. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. So that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of his fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The king is coming in victory. He is coming as a conqueror. Draw your attention to a couple of more verses here. Verse 21, excuse me, 22. 
verse 17 and verse 20 and 21. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. He who testifies to these things, verse 20 says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Make your call and election sure. Be sure you are prepared to meet the King of Kings. We're going to pray and then Brother Mike's going to lead us in in Christ alone and then we'll have the benediction. Father, thank you for this, your word this morning as we're reminded that Jesus presented as king, he is king, the peaceful entry of the king. Let us be prepared to meet the returning king as there is the promise of the return of our Lord, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and it will be pronounced. And he is coming again. And we look forward to his return We say, come, Lord, quickly. We say, how long, O Lord? And we ask in the meantime, Lord, how then shall we live? In Jesus' name.